Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hello and welcome to another episode of The New Conspiracist with me, Jolyon Rubinstein, and my uh, fact-checking genius friend who gives this show some intellectual weight, Pulitzer Prize-winning James Ball. How are you, James? I'm not too bad, thanks. You know, it's just, uh, you know, shoulders a bit sore from carrying the credibility of the show. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, um, for people who may be first-time listeners of the show, what what is The New Conspiracist? So we tend to look into wild and lurid conspiracy theories like, you know, are aliens living among us? Uh, You know, was the moon landing faked? Did Russia ever help a US president win the election? Uh, We look into these wild and wacky theories and see if there might be anything to them. Yeah, we uh, factmonger take apart the fake news uh, like a lumberjack with a metaphorical chainsaw uh, slicing through the turd that is modern press coverage of reality. Obviously, apart from the, 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 the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, which James happens to be the global editor of. No big deal. Uh, listen, today we are joined by a man I'm very you know, proud to call my friend. I think it's fair to say quite a conspiracy theory nut and also a bloody good stand-up. Welcoming to the show, the fantastic Dane Baptiste. How are you, mate? Uh, thank you. I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, a very endearing and uh, very accurate description of my... Uh, Have you got like a favourite conspiracy theory? I would say that it would be the overall uh, whole Illuminati plan for taking over the world and various different uh, methods of depopulation and control. That being said, we are not really far off the uh, events described in uh, those particular conspiracy theories I found online. We're, uh, we're not moving too far off it. The thing I always liked about the Illuminati one was like, they're always this vast, amazing, four centuries old conspiracy. It's like, how long are these guys waiting? Like, you know, <laughs> I, why would you join a conspiracy theory where someone goes, hey, yeah, but in 200 years time, we're going to be on it. James, what was, your, what was your sort of entry level conspiracy theory? I think it was probably, you know, the CIA were behind absolutely everything probably because i grew up in an era where they were behind about half of things so you know it's just a case of scale i guess i think for me it was a assassination of jfk was definitely what i was like i remember watching that oliver stone movie and being like this is the truth well that's where the term comes from isn't it uh conspiracy theorist was first coined around the, when people started investigating the jfk assassination so yeah, right there on ground floor, actually. That's uh, yeah, where the term conspiracy theorist comes from. Well, listen, today we are dealing with, I think, a conspiracy theory that's certainly of the moment and actually slightly terrifying in its relevance to, well, just the existence of, of mankind, the destruction of the environment uh, and basic race relations throughout the world. And that is the conspiracy theory around Trump and election rigging. So, James, w- what is this conspiracy theory? So, you know, this is this is a conspiracy theory that I'm sure most people listening to this will find really hard to believe, but it's a conspiracy theory that the 2020 US election might be rigged. Um, this one's an interesting one to unpack because 
there are dozens of conspiracy theories around this. Mm. Um, and you can pick whichever ones that you want. So you have the president who's going and saying that there will be huge problems of voter fraud by post. Uh, and, you know, millions of Democrats will cast phony votes. Um, he claimed, I think, in his 2016 election that there were three million fake votes. Um, it's a very rare person who will actually contest the credibility of an election they they won, yeah. but that's Donald Trump for you. But then you've got conspiracy theorists saying that it will be rigged in the other way, that there's a conspiracy to... Um, interfere with the US Postal Service and make it less able to administer an election that, because it's happening in a pandemic, will rely on postal votes. Jay, let's get into that point about the postal votes, because I'm sure a lot of people might have seen sort of, you know, stuff jump up on their news feeds about, uh, you know, rigged elections in the post office. But what actually are we talking about? Is it the ownership of the post office or just their ability to, you know, accurately, you know, deliver post itself? Or what's going on? So the US Postal Service is owned by the government. Um, you know, it's actually, we've privatised the Royal Mail in the UK. The US is more socialist than us. Who knew? <laughs> Essentially, that means that it's in the president's gift to decide who runs it. And he's brought in someone who actually has connections to commercial rivals of the Postal Service and who has fired a lot of the senior long-term staff who know what they're doing and actually genuinely has done things like scrap some mail sorting machines and get rid of some safeguards that would make sure that your postal ballot is delivered on time. They've even cut funding to states to make sure that postal ballots get to voters and get delivered for free and are funded. So there's some quite dark shit going on with this. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's kind of a nasty secret of American democracy, isn't it, that often they just don't count all the votes and they don't let all the people vote. So, for instance, in the last two years, according to the federal government, 17 million Americans have been stripped of their right to vote. And some obviously are quite legitimate. You know, if someone dies, you know, obviously that's that's quite legitimate. But if someone, for instance, has left Georgia, gone to Michigan, then they should obviously not be voting in birth states. But Apparently, according to investigative journalist Greg Palast, about half of that number, so 9 million people or so, were removed from the voter rolls on sort of false premises. And this seems to be really now not just targeting people of colour, which has happened since, you know, Jim Crow and, and the civil rights movement, but it's actually young people who are the new target, isn't it, James? Yeah, it's absolutely being sort of thrown in all kinds of directions. Loads of people are registered to vote in two states. And that's actually the same as it works in the UK. You could be registered where in your family home and where your university is. You just have to only vote in one. And so they've done all sorts of things that strip legitimate voters off because they don't have the right forms of proof of address, etc. Um, this also comes from a really, really long term bit of engineering in the US where they don't just not allow you to vote while in prison. Like a lot of felons in a lot of states lose their right to vote forever. And of course, given that the US not famously known for being incredibly fair racially with its criminal justice system, disenfranchises millions more people. So, Dee, you, you've actually got a green card, don't you? Yeah, yeah, so I'm a dual resident. Are you going to be voting? You're going to be voting for Trump, right? Uh, I, 
would definitely not be voting for Trump. <laughs> what do you make of this conspiracy theory that that sort of Trump's trying to rig the election through the postal service? Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, weight in it, just given the uh, statistics you guys described and the actual executive, I guess, orders being taken place to remove the rights of voting. I think, given I said the uh, lack of rights for felons within the states and the fact that one percent of America's entire population is incarcerated, there's a real congruence there between in terms of suppressing the voters and also lobbyists for the penal industrial complex. But I think given that the targets of this potential campaign to rig an election are towards African-Americans and young voters, it does seem to hold a lot of weight, especially because it seems that the Trump administration are actively going around rounding up mailboxes and padlocking them and maybe and confiscating them from street from the from the street itself which doesn't look particularly good. So um, I think this particular conspiracy theory holds a lot of weight and is actually could actually be conspiracy fact. In terms of facts, I've got a staggering statistic for you here, right? So the US Civil Rights Commission discovered that the chances your vote will be quote unquote spoiled is 900% higher if you're black than if you're white. Yeah, that happened with the Bush, that happened with the Bush administration as well. So voting machines will, will become defective and voting machines went missing, as well as rigging election rules uh, and electoral rolls so that felons couldn't get on or voter ID as well because obviously uh, voter identification is required in order for you to vote. But there are certain types of identification, whether it be like a, maybe a driving license or a passport, which some people may not have. 75% of all Americans do not own passports. And I'm sure if you do a Venn diagram between that and those who live below the poverty line, I think you'll see again a lot of uh, parallels in terms of demographic. And I think that is not an accident. It is almost certain that there is election rigging taking place. I mean, the thing with conspiracy theories is there are sometimes conspiracies. And what's kind of mind-blowing about a lot of this US stuff is Donald Trump has taken it, you know, turned it up to 11. But almost none of this is new. You know, voter suppression of black voters has existed in the US since there have been black voters. The Ku Klux Klan was invented for that purpose as well. The Ku Klux Klan was... uh used to basically intimidate and brutalise and in some cases kill and maim potential black voters as well. So that's one of the reasons why the Ku Klux Klan even exists. Yeah, and what's interesting, they really do rig how many polling stations there are in white areas versus black areas. The idea in America, it's been said by a bipartisan commission, no one should have to line up for more than 30 minutes to vote. And, you know, let's say you're a black voter, you've managed to keep your registration to vote, you've got your polling card, you've got your ID, and voters in predominantly black neighbourhoods wait 29% longer than those in white neighbourhoods, but way more extremely, 74% more likely to have to wait more than 30 minutes. Now, if you're doing a job, if you've got fixed hours and you're on a lunch hour, you might not get the chance to vote. That can steal your vote just by putting you in a long line. And these racial disparities don't happen by accident. Yeah, it's weird because, you know, you think about it, you live in a world of like biometric identification where you need to show either your eyes or your thumbprint in order to get into your phone. It will just stand to reason that if it's that simple, you can probably set up an app, you know, a nationalized app, which would allow people to vote on their phone electronically. Democracy is a commodity afforded to very few. And the idea of being able to stand in line for a whole day to vote. It's impossible for everybody. Do you know what? I think it's important to note here as well, like the United States has got a pretty long and infamous history of sort of sabotaging democratically elected governments in other countries. And this isn't conspiracy theories, like you know, as far back as kind of... Remember how the conspiracy theory term began? They shoot presidents in that country. <laughs> so true. 
You gotta remember, you don't, you're talking about voting. Even when you get the president you want, they will just assassinate them. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girl? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. James, in particular, sort of with respect to the American election in 2016 and now, what is the kind of case that people make for the fact that Russia is influencing the election? So aside from everything else, you have the fact that even right now, under Donald Trump, the Department for Homeland Security yesterday released a report saying that Russia was trying to interfere in the US election in favour of Donald Trump. That's after four years of him being president and not being able to suppress this. In 2016, you can now publicly trace the like online forensics of Russia hacking the emails of John Podesta, a kind of key Hillary Clinton aide, passing them to WikiLeaks, uh, to my old boss, Julian Assange. Yeah. Shout out to Julian if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> so, um, chucking them over to uh, Jules. And then actually WikiLeaks seeming to coordinate the timing, I think via Roger Stone, with the Trump campaign to dump these emails up the day the grab and by the pussy um, recording came out to spoil wow. that story. That is huge, huge electoral interference. It uses the mainstream media and it's going to happen again. They're going to keep doing it. Russia didn't even necessarily want Trump to win. They just wanted to cause like madness and division. And of course, one of the um, things that came out of those pedestrian emails was sort of first the rise of the kind of Pizzagate stuff. And out of that was born, you know, the QAnon conspiracy that Dane loves so much and that we tackle in a different episode of this show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we're just in an era of uh, cyber warfare. And I think it's, it's something that a lot of us we, uh, probably had only seen in science fiction, but we this is the new Cold War. And it seems that uh, this is part of, and this is a conspiracy I've been aware of, is that uh, Putin and uh, Russia, would, alongside his uh, previous ties with the KGB, deliberately trying to destabilise elections that take place in Western Europe, so that, you know, you have things like Britain seceding from the European Union and America becoming a more isolationist and therefore destabilising the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation and just making, yeah, Western Europe a bit of a myth, uh, both socially and politically. I want to sort of focus in on, um, on, on something that we were talking about earlier. Which, which Dane was talking about, which seems such an important part of this whole picture, which is this kind of idea of information warfare, you know, the idea of capturing the news cycles through putting out this really sort of destabilizing uh, clickbait, really. And then also, James, I'd like you to explain a bit to, to, to the audience at home, you might not know about it, about psychographic targeting, which also has been a big part of this, right? Which basically like, if you're sitting in Bulgaria 
or uh, a sort of Slavic state where Russia just happened to have uh, hypothetically a uh, sort of, you know, a clickbait farm where you have any number of engineers putting out Facebook posts and then targeting them at key states and marginal organizations. And sometimes, as in the case of the 2016 election, even sort of BLM groups, and, you know, it's certainly not just, just something they're doing on the right. Why is this targeting so powerful? And is it as effective as some people say? So it's not as effective as some people say. This is sort of the interesting thing. Cambridge Analytica were one of the early people who pushed this idea of psychographic ad targeting. It was basically they would be able to judge by your Facebook posts how extrovert or introvert you were, how sort of paranoid you were, lots like major five personality traits. What kind of member of Friends are you as well? That's how they, said, that's how they, that's how they did it. They'd be like, which member of the Friends cast are you? <laughs> <laughs> All the Joeys just got absolutely <laughs> done straight away. That was it. The, Chandler, the, the Chandlers were like, could this be any more rigged? And, you know, Ross, Ross and Rachel just basically just got it on a My bench. election, my <laughs> yeah. sandwich. basically it turned out it's easier just to target ads based on roughly how old are you what's your ethnicity and where do you live it turned out that all this psychographic stuff you could cut through a lot of the stuff that russia does to target our other people they just play on already existing divides and that's way more powerful than psychographics they find whatever you're culture warring over and really emphasize it. What was kind of more sinister in some of the 2016 stuff, they did a kind of digital voter suppression. And this was Republican kind of PACs, uh, sort of funded groups, would target black voters or voters in black areas with negative men- measures, uh, adverts about Hillary Clinton, sort of saying she was racist or she'd voted for X, Y, or Z that was against them. Uh, or sometimes even really blatantly going, by the way, when they check your ID at the polling station, you can be arrested if you've got any outstanding speeding tickets. And so they did digital voter suppression. They weren't trying to get these voters to turn out and vote for Trump. They were trying to get them to stay the hell at home. That's kind of dark. I want to make a thing about conspiracy theories on elections. One of the really interesting things is you always hear voter fraud used kind of against sort of outsider groups or vulnerable groups. Like in the UK, there's a big thing about, oh, well, British Asians use loads of uh, voter postal vote fraud. I think people have found a handful of cases over about 20 years. But whenever a new group gets to vote, it's thrown at them. And so one of the kind of amazing things when we were looking into like election conspiracy theories was uh, when women got the vote nationwide in the US, which didn't happen until 1920s, by the way. Um, mm. One of the big arguments against it that kept getting deployed was that men would be able to dress up as women and uh, vote seven <laughs> times at the polling station. Yeah. I don't know why suddenly when like when... The, uh, the same man comes through in eight different frocks, suddenly is indetectable and like this is per- the perfect crime. But it's always raised. Whenever someone new gets to vote or whenever there's a group that people in power don't want to get to vote, 
suddenly voter fraud seems to shoot up the kind of agenda and it's always the excuse they use. And it's really interesting that we're in 2020 and the president is shouting about voter fraud while committing it. Let's talk about that actual example that you're talking about, because obviously we've dealt with the idea, you know, the conspiracy theory around Russia interfering with the election. Uh, We've talked about, you know, voter suppression, gerrymandering, uh, this being done on racial lines or or, or on lines of sort of a a young sort of maybe so Gen Z population who may be dismayed at the way that Trump's policies have affected them. But let's look at it from, let's turn, you know, let's go sort of through the looking grass and sort of go into the upside down here, because Donald Trump is claiming that the Democrats are rigging the election. So how, how does that work, James? I mean, the, the easiest trick and Donald Trump's oldest sort of giveaway is he will accuse his opponents of doing whatever he's doing. It's mm. not a unique trick to him, but it's a good one. But his argument essentially is postal votes are rigged. The Dems have millions of fake voters. The Dems want illegals to vote, you know, as he likes to call migrants into the US. And he even ends up, he did the very weird thing where... Uh, He was speaking in North Carolina, and he said that voters for him in in North Carolina should send in their postal vote and then go and vote in person to test how well the system works. Literally on live television saying that voters should commit a quite serious crime. Uh, And I think in theory, it should be quite a serious crime for himself. And yet he accuses the other side of fraud. And it comes from his weird ego as much as anything else. But yeah, it's a really classic tell of a certain type of probably psychopath. They accuse their opponents of all the bad stuff that they do because they Mm. think everyone's like them. Dee, what do you think about this? Because obviously, you know, he's made no secret of this. He's said many times, which I mean, certainly in my lifetime is the first time a sitting president has said, look, you know, the election's fixed before a, before a vote has been cast. But, you know, you see, you know, these heavily armed right-wing militias now, particularly, you know, in southern states, you know, quite rightly, I think, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests have morphed and a lot of the kind of black militias are on the street heavily armed. And surprise, surprise, those are the times when they don't get the shit kicked out of them by the police. Do you think that sort of people talking about a civil war are sort of, you know, over overcooking this? Or do you think there will be sort of armed exchanges? I think that we are already past that point. We're already in the midst of a civil war in America, if not now. When I say this, when I discuss the phenomenon of race relations, I mean uh, politically, because not everybody with uh, black skin believes that black lives matter, and not every white person is wants to suppress people of colour. I say that to say this. I think America, again, is already in the midst of a civil war. The main one is between the haves and the have-nots. I think that, uh, like I said, following 2008, you have now a very clear wealthy elite and who are continuing to divide people because it serves them. Because America's issues are shrouded in race relations, but they are uh, much bigger than race alone. So we were talking earlier about the penal industrial complex, which exists to kind of brutalize the poor. And in order to allow America to remain and to maintain its competitiveness with manufacturing in China or in you know Central America. So they kind of need that. So I think conversation that we're having now amongst uh, Black Lives Matter protests about the defunding of the police, this is what's causing the intensity because for socially, a lot of America's identity, uh, especially when it comes to Trump supporters, is woven into their uh, white supremacy. So 
in terms of the fact that like, you know, you've got to remember that in America you have uh, 60 million people that can't read. You have 75% of the population that don't own a passport. You have one in maybe one in three or one in 2.7 people developing one form of cancer or another. The only way that most people are able to rationalize this experience as an American is that they believe that they are superior not only to the black people in America, but also the 0.8 billion of them around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at America now, where the idea is that you are a member of a republic where any man, irrespective of his birth, as long as he's an American citizen, become president, we all know realistically that's not going to happen. Now you have an entire group of people who have seen a black man ascend to the highest office in the, in the, in the country. And that has basically shattered the American dream and revealed it for the lie that it is. And so essentially this is a civil, this is a, it's not just a race war or civil war, this is an ideological war where a lot of people who have been weaned on and have enjoyed sucking at the seat of privilege are getting to a point where they're not going to be able to do that anymore. Just to say as well, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched The 13th on Netflix, you'll understand a lot more about what Dane's explaining about the sort of penal industrial complex. Or if you've ever bought Victoria's Secret, that might have been made by a convict. The panties that you're buying for your missus, some man... Yeah, not so sexy now, is it? I I had a very, very fucking strange experience about sort of four or five years ago when I was filming. I went to um, a place called Tent City Prison, which was run by a man who's now been pardoned by President Trump called Joe Alpeo, who had basically set up a pretty much like a concentration camp without gas chambers in the sort of desert in Arizona. Now, this was a prison that basically was was infamous. It had, you know, women on chain gangs who used to bury the dead for a fee. This guy decided that, you know, obviously there's nothing worse than being gay. He thought the best way to humiliate prisoners was to put them in pink boxer shorts over their clothes. This became so successful that he started signing said boxer shorts and made over £125,000 himself to selling them. But this was in a state where the sheriff was elected. And I think that's what people have to understand about, particularly election in the United States, because you're not just rigging the presidency. You're rigging any number of other offices, which basically, like James was saying with, with, with the sort of post office, enables people to do the unthinkable and put people in power to defund the very institutions which are supposed to be protecting us, like the sanctity of the post office. I mean, James, is that, do you think that's about right? I think, yeah, of course. I mean, this is, this is sort of why... Th- you know, more votes, more democracy sounds brilliant, doesn't it? But judicial systems meant to be a check and balance on exec force, on elected force. If you are in an area where not only is your sheriff and thus your police elected, but then the prosecutor who'll sort of bring it to court or not is elected, and then the judge is elected, which happens... And then the system, the voting system gets rigged against you and gerrymandered and you're disenfranchised from your right to vote. You end up in a really awful controlled position. And that's sort of how the stakes, as if they didn't look high when you look at four more years of the sort of orange tyrant, they are still like in a day-to-day lives. Like, you know, what's your chances of going through a year without being arrested or shot or, you know, then locked up for 20 years for a misdemeanor? And your vote is the only thing you have to try and influence that. This really couldn't be more serious. And the only good thing that could come out of this is that Trump has made it so obvious and so egregious and said the quiet bits 
screaming from the rooftop that, you know, if this isn't seized on as a chance to reform and improve some of this, you know, if, if there isn't a break in the insanity, if not now, when? Yeah, it's crazy. This is the point, isn't it? If you have control of those levers, as James was describing it, the checks and balances, well, then the whole system's just just a total total fraud, isn't it? You know, over the last two decades in America, the presidency has remained within the same four bloodlines, which was... Extraordinary when you when you say it like that, just remaining within four bloodlines, it's extraordinary. And the outcry about that was supposed to be one of the catalysts for Donald Trump's election. But if you arrive at a point where people, as I said, their identity and their uh, supposed well-being is so well linked to the suppression of others and is so linked to, like, you know, global imperialism, that... People are going to continue to ignore everything that Donald Trump says, because at this particular point now, you know, the things that he has overseen, really, he should be in The Hague. But now it's going to shine a light on the fact on whether or not we subject all Western nations to, you know, the same protocols in terms of their humanitarian conduct. Because really, you know, America behaves very much like a rogue nation. It's not just uh, socially. It's also politically now. It's also economically. I just mm-hmm. think they won't be able to go any further than they've gone. So... So far as the votes, and like I said, he's openly spoken about rigging votes and elections. I don't think it's a conspiracy that that's being done. I think it's whether or not people will do something about it. As I say, I just think if you can, you know, come from a Christian nation and be a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and your president can't even name one passage from the Bible and you continue to think that he's... Because, you, know, you know, Donald Trump has got a lot of evangelical support from the, uh, the alt-right, the alt-Christian right, and he can't name one passage in the Bible. He's been divorced three times. It's illegal for him to go near any kind of non-profit organization due to money laundering charges and has openly expressed his desire to potentially have sex with his daughter in the alternate universe. <laughs> <laughs> that, neatly, that neatly takes us on to the part of the show where we decide fundamentally whether this conspiracy theory is true or false. And I would say probably in this episode, Bane, it, it, it feels like this conspiracy theory is true. Yeah, I think it's... Absolutely true. It's not the first time we've seen it, as we said. I think, uh, you know, the only time you actually see true democracy uh, within our society is uh, with social media. And I think if you take a look at social media, you understand why aristocracy exists. Because not everyone's supposed to have a say, unfortunately. I mean, everyone's entitled to a say, but, you know, that should definitely be based on uh, having a certain level of information. Just like if you have to drive, you you have to do a theory and a practical test. And I think the same thing should happen when it comes to voting. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'd endorse that one, but it's uh, it's it's an interesting take, isn't it? But as as the conspiracy theory goes, yeah, this one's true. Are we going to get three out of three, or is Jolyon going to uh, be Trump's great defender? No, I, I believe I believe I think not only is it true, but it's uh, such a vitally important part of the of the discussion now because the what Dane was talking about almost it's like you know being qualified in the University of YouTube, having watched any number of conspiracy theories, and then getting taken down loads of rabbit holes and believing this extreme stuff is so pointless if you're not going to basically you know try to create a system within a democracy where the checks and balances are actually working and it seems to me like you know we're talking about QAnon and and other things very briefly it's like people get so obsessed with this stuff that they're forgetting to you know first of all vote in the first place and secondly actually check the government now listen Dane we've got to wrap up the show but look tell tell the audience first of all if they if they don't follow you on social media where can they find Uh, you I'm on all your good socials uh, Instagram Twitter and Facebook all under Dane Baptiste Um, you can also find my YouTube channel 
channel where there will be no conspiracy theory but lots of entertaining comedy uh, and social <laughs> commentary um, and i also have a podcast because in the same yeah. sort of inf- looking into conspiracy theory i have a podcast which is called dame baptiste questions everything where you know we encourage yeah, people to question their reality uh jolien has been a previous guest um so you can definitely check out the podcast yeah, and also you've got a, a tour happening, don't you, in 2021? I do, yeah. So in 2021, uh, we're doing the Chocolate Chip Tour, which was a tour I began in March of this year, which was basically about the complex of a black anger and race relations and what could possibly happen if we continue to ignore those. So mm. I'm not sure if you guys have been paying attention, but it is very accurate social commentary. <laughs> Are you a bit worried it's not going to be, you know, topical anymore? It just doesn't seem like it's been an issue in the headlines this year. I think about it. I'm, I'm going to tweak a few things here and there, a few dates here and there. I think. <laughs> Haven't we sorted all that out now? There's no, there's no issue with race relations, is there? Unless you're Lawrence Fox. I mean, this is not an issue. I like Lawrence Fox because, like, he's like, why do we have to keep listening to black people complain about things that make him upset? And then he doesn't understand why he's crappy at music. It's because you never listen to the blues. <laughs> on that Lawrence Fox shaped bombshell we're going to have to leave you for this week we will be back next week please please like and subscribe uh, to the podcast and give us a five star review with a very very nice comment because it helps the podcast uh, uh, you know basically to the gods of this world known as the algorithm so so do us a favour and and, and like that Dane thank you so so much for coming on the show my pleasure man anytime I've got loads of experiences left so We'll be back in the next couple of weeks. James, uh, one last word from you on the conspiracy? Go vote, actually, yeah. Vote. If you're American, vote, please. Yeah, God damn it, go and vote. Um, all right, well, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. 